Good evening, everyone. Parshas Vayishlach. How a genteel soul learns to face down a bully. Let's develop this theme, permeating the parsha pervasively. The parsha begins with Yaakov's face down with Asaph. That here, for so many years, Yaakov has been a fugitive on the run from Asaph who seeks to kill him. Yaakov has been hiding out off the scene in Haran, in Lavan's home. And now, once and for all, Yaakov is going to meet him and Yaakov is going to arrange this meeting on his own terms. He initiates the meeting with Esav and sends Esav a tribute, a gift to settle Esav. And this is a very strong thing which Yaakov does because he is stepping on a hornet's nest as far as he knows Esav, Esav still seeks to kill him. But Yaakov refuses to continue to remain a fugitive. He says, I want to deal with the ace of threat, neutralize it once and for all, head on. And it's actually interesting because some are critical of Yaakov. There's a medrash that accuses Yaakov of riling up a sleeping dog. Esav is like a sleeping dog. Esav's doing his own thing. What do you do walking up to the sleeping dog and you shake up the sleeping dog by his shaggy ears? What? Leave Asaph be. This medrash is perhaps the source of the expression, let sleeping dogs be sleeping dogs. But Yaakov doesn't take that attitude. Because as I am explaining, Yaakov has enough of remaining a fugitive. Yaakov seeks to once and for all neutralize the threat. No more running away with my tail between my legs. And Yaakov is successful in doing this. He neutralizes the ace of threat. He settles the ace of threat. Ace of and, and him leave as friends, so to speak, peacefully. And the Parsha really ends with this same theme of neutralizing the ace of threat. That while ace of was initially a rival, to Yaakov's role as an Av, as a patriarch. Esav is contending, I deserve the blessing. Well, the Parsha makes it clear at the end. Esav is now swept off the stage once and for all. You see this in the final narrative of the Parsha, which is a lineage about Esav's family. In the course of one passage or so of Pesukim, Ve'ela told us Esav, this is the lineage of Esav, the Torah deals with the lineage of Esav, and kind of thereby sweeps Esau off of the biblical stage, off of the Chumash stage. This is Esau's history, and then he's done with, never to appear in Chumash. The rest of the Chumash is the story of Yaakov, because Esau is now out of the picture, no longer a threat. As further underscored, when we study the opening to next week's Parsha with a sensitive ear, and we study the opening language of next week's parsha, Parshas Vayeshev, following the end of our parsha, the conclusion of our parsha of Ela Toldos Esav, it says Ela Toldos Yaakov in the second pasuk of Parshas Vayeshev. These are the generations of Yaakov. It is so clear that these abutting passages, these two juxtaposed passages, 
Ela told Osesav at the end of Parshas Vayetzei, which wraps up all the lineage and all the history of Esav in one passage. Then followed by Ela told us Yaakov, the same expression, but the, this is the lineage of Yaakov, the lineage, the history, the story of Yaakov, which is the story which never ends. All the rest of Torah deals with it. It's very clear what's going on here. The Torah is contrasting. Ela told us Esav, the story, the history, the lineage of Esav, done, gone with the wind. Now Ela told us Yaakov in next week's parasha, the Jewish story can continue uninhibited, unhindered, unthreatened. So, again, we are seeing at the end of the parish the very same theme of validation from Hashem. Yes, indeed, Yaakov, you've neutralized the ace of threat. And the strength displayed by Yaakov in our parsha, Yaakov shedding his fugitive persona, is, of course, the great theme of Yaakov's encounter with the angel, with the Sarish Lesav, with the angel of Esav. Yaakov's able to wrestle with him as an equal. And the angel of Esav, i.e. the cosmic force of Esav, is unable to knock Yaakov out. In fact, Yaakov is able to engage in a combat. Yaakov is forceful. Yaakov is assertive here. This is a new Yaakov here. And therefore, Yaakov in our parsha merits the name Yisrael. You are a sar. You are an. You are a prince. Kisarisa You are no longer Yaakov, meaning heel fighting from the bottom. Now you are a sar. Now you are a prince. Now you are dignified, and you have to be dealt with as equals, as an equal by your opposition. No longer as a victim. Yisrael. And this strength gumption of Yaakov in terms of dealing with opposition, facing down his bullies, you might say. And of course, this brings to mind the contemporary subject on our level, motivating victims to shed their victim mentality and be able to face down bullies. Well, from this perspective, we appreciate yet another passage in our parasha, when Yaakov's children, in fact, take this to the next level, take this Jewish strength to the next level. And I'm, of course, referring to the story of the abduction of Dino, and Dino is abducted by Shem, and Yaakov agrees for his children to, that his children do a rather audacious thing, engaging in a ploy of sorts to have Shem and countrymen circumcise themselves, and then the Jewish family, Yaakov's children, are going to go in and are going to whisk Dina away in a great display of strength, not allowing the opposition, the oppressor, the abuser, Shem, to hold on to Dina. Well, his children, Shimon and Levi, take this to the next level and say, we are not going to allow the Jewish people, the Jewish people's pride to be trampled on like this. And they actually kill out the people of Shem. Now, Yaakov disagrees with this decision. Yaakov sees this as very bad diplomacy, very bad PR. Achartamosi, you've given me a bad reputation. But Shimon and Levi respond, Hakazona Yasasachoseinu? Should we allow our sister to be a harlot? A harlot? Should we allow our sister to be taken advantage of this way? And the Torah grants Shimon and Levi the last words here. It does not speak of Yaakov responding to that argument. In some sense, it seems like the Torah is validating Shimon and Levi's position. Should we allow our sister to become a harlot? Jewish pride, Kedushas Yisrael, Kavad Yisrael, 
If I may say, there are almost foreshadowing echoes here of a Mayor Kahan and a JDL. And is that the mainstream position? No, Yaakov doesn't see it that way. But the Torah gives some validation for that extremist position of Jewish dignity, Jewish pride. This is an old issue waged in our parsha, which is the whole dynamic, the whole theme of our parsha is that of Jewish pride and Jewish assertiveness as Yisra'a. Now, what I would like to understand now, sing the parsha this way, is how is it that the victim sheds that victim persona and now becomes a prince, now can face down his bully, everything which Yaakov is doing here. As I said, this is a contemporary subject, how we motivate victims among us to stare down their bullies. Well, turning to Yaakov Avinu in the realm of Kedusha, in the realm of holiness, on his level, right? What I would like to understand what is going on here in terms of this transformation in Yaakov. No longer the fugitive, but now the prince. What makes a Yaakov in Parshas Vayishlach so different than a Yaakov at the end of Parshas told those pitifully running, running for his life? Now, of course, part of the answer to that question is Asaf. Asaf's temper has cooled down a bit 20 plus years later, so therefore Yaakov feels less threatened by him. But it seems to me that this grand theme we've observed in the parasha, a Yaakov becoming a Yisrael, reflects some fundamental change in Yaakov and his psyche and his neshama. Somehow the victim himself redeems himself, grows. And I want to understand how this growth happened in Yaakov, I mean, of course, on Yaakov's level, on Yaakov's level of Kedusha. And it would seem to me that the key to understand this metamorphosis in Yaakov from the fugitive at the end of Parshas Toltos to the prince holding his own in Vayishlach lies in the intervening Parsha. Last week's Parsha, Parshas Vayetze. The 20 plus years, or the almost 20 years, I should say, in Lovin's house. Somehow during that time, Yaakov changed. Yaakov became strengthened. Yaakov was able to become the new man of Parshas Vayishlach who could face down his bully. And we could understand that on a very simple level. The time at Lovan's house was not a pleasant time. Yaakov was certainly not in his comfort zone. Yaakov was living with a trickster who at every turn sought to deceive Yaakov. From who Yaakov marries to Yaakov's wages. And... Yaakov learned how to outsmart and outwit Lavan using his Yiddish cup, maintaining his ethics as Yaakov while at the same time not allowing himself to become a doormat. And he does this again and again, ensuring that he break even and even lives prosperously and allow, provides for his family the covered. And we see all sorts of initiatives on Yaakov's part to remain one step ahead of Lavan, including how Yaakov runs the business, runs the shepherding business, if you recall in last week's parasha, with the speckled sheep and the brown sheep, and how Yaakov ensured that he would not lose despite love and shenanigans. So Yaakov, you might say, learned how to swim with the sharks. He learned how to deal with the tough cookies. He's not afraid of them anymore. 
You might see the time in Lavan's house was the school of hard knocks. So this genteel soul, Yaakov, he's developed a tough exterior. He's developed the ability to deal with opposition. And now he could face down an ace of an hour parsha. And this is what life does to us. When the Rebona Sha'olam throws at our way unwanted experiences, forces us to leave our comfort zone, so often there is actually a growth opportunity going on here. We're developing a certain toughness, a certain fortitude, a certain stamina, stamina of the spirit, stamina of the neshama to deal with unsavory people, opposition, and not to be thrown by them. And the thread expands. Seeing Yaakov this way, a Yaakov who's a genteel soul who must develop a tough exterior to survive the vicissitudes of life, we can really trace this back further. And go back to the very inception of Yaakov's life and his organic family and appreciate this dynamic. Yaakov is born with his twin Esav, and Yaakov and Esav differ fundamentally in character and personality, largely over this very issue gentleness versus rough and tumble. Yaakov is, of course, Ishtam Yoshev Olim, the innocent, some would argue naive, but certainly pure man of the base Madrash. While Esavis Ishiyodeyat Saidish, so the hunter, the man of the field. And even the bodies of these two men reflect this. Yaakov is Ishchalak, smooth. While Esav is Ishsair, a hairy man, hairy, almost furry, a man of the jungle. Ishsadeh, not only in his occupation, but I believe reflected in his body too. Because again, the Chumash does not stress petty details such as complexion without a lesson here. And Yaakov is smooth. Squeaky clean, we would say. Because Yaakov is a man of the base Medrash, Ishtam Yoshevo, a man of Tmimus, a man of innocence, purity. And of course, this is because Yaakov is Yaakov. Yaakov's the man of the Neshama. Yaakov is the paradigm Jew, of course. We are the people of the base Medrash rather than the people of the battlefield and the field in general. But this comes with a major liability to it. Because while our goal is Avodas Hanashama, work of the neshama, it has to be achieved in this world, which is a very tough place. And if a person is simply tamim, innocent, naive, and does not have the coping mechanisms to deal with the sadah of life, they're in trouble, which gives rise to expressions such as like, good boys and girls finish last. And this on one level, I would suggest, is why Yitzchak believes the bracha should really go to Esav. Esav should be the ear, the successor. Because he realizes what, what a chosen people is going to have to contend with 
in terms of Jewish destiny. And he thinks there's no way Yaakov could survive this. You need the strength of an Esav to survive this. And we especially can appreciate Yitzchak's position this way when we recognize Yitzchak's own mida, Yitzchak's own attribute. It's not chesed, it's not loving kindness, but rather givura, strength, toughness. Yitzchak finds toughness appealing. Yitzchak appreciates the need for toughness, toughness of Ktusha, Gvura Lektusha, to survive Olam Hazan to achieve. The good boys, the good girls will finish last. And therefore he believes the bracha needs to go to Esau. Rivka, on the other hand, who you might say is Yaakov's cheerleader and has an even deeper insight from the Torah's perspective, understands that, no, Yaakov, with his purity, his neshama, his gutzkeit. He has Jewish virtue. He ought to father the chosen people. But at the same time, she understands Yaakov needs to develop the, the rough exterior. Where do we see this? Because she has such an audacious plan when she sends Yaakov in to disguise himself as Esau and receive the blessings as Esau. And it is such a provocative plan, this disguise, that this pull the wool over Yitzchak's eyes scheme, that one senses there's more to it than simply a tactic to ensure Yaakov receives the bracha. I would suggest there's an educational experience here. Yaakov, you need to incorporate some of that Esau. You at least need to wear Esau's clothes as he dons Esau's clothes. No, not your neshama. Keep your neshama. Maintain your neshama as a pure Yaakov dick and neshama. But you need to assume some of that rough exterior. You need to be like that proverbial sabra fruit. Rough without. Rough husk. Rough peel. While you're soft on the inside. Don the clothing of Esau. And deeper than that, use mirma. Use what the Chumashir calls trickery, which Unklish renders as chachma, shrewdness. A Jew needs to be shrewd. With your tmimus, with your innocence, you need street smarts. You need shrewdness. Mirma slash chachmasa, smartness of shrewdness. He must receive the bracha. As kol kol Yaakov yidayim your voice is Yaakov, your pnimius, your essence is Yaakov. But your hands, your exterior must be the exterior of Esau. Again, no coincidence, not simply a matter of tactic, that in the intimate, cherished moments, when he becomes the Av of Klal Yisrael, when he receives the blessing, he is Esau from without and Yaakov from within. Because it is in that persona, that fused persona, that he must receive the blessings. That the, the message to us is as follows. A Jew must at his or her core be a sweet person, a gentle person, a soulful person. That is who we are. We are, at our heart, we do not desire conflict, struggle. We are loving. Hakol kol Yaakov. But Yedai Yemidei we have the tools available to play hardball when we need to play hardball. Which is exactly what Yaakov displays and learns to do in Lovin's house. When he must engage in his shenanigans, we'll call them in, in Lovin's house, to stay one step ahead of Lovin. And Lovin says, 
Only spotted sheep are your sheep will be yours. And Yaakov peels sticks to ensure they'll be spotted sheep. Shrewdness. Yiddish a cup. This must become part of Yaakov's reality. And seen this way, appreciating that Yaakov is developing slowly, gradually here, developing this rough exterior. We appreciate that it is no coincidence that both Yaakov's original snatching of the brachos disguised as Esav, and then his experience in Lavan's house, both were under the direction of the same person, and that's Rivka. It was Rivka who sent him to disguise himself as Esav and receive the blessing, and then it is Rivka to Imparshas Toldos who sends him to Lavan's house. No coincidence. These are both linked, parallel missions of directed by Rivka. Mama knows best. Mama knows what what Yitzchak needs, what Yaakov needs to learn. And in both cases, it's not simply a question of tactic to beat out Esav, but educational experience hatched by the same insight of the same Rivka who understands what a Yaakov needs to become. And therefore, in our parasha. Yaakov now emerges a different person, having graduated the school of hard knocks. And now he can face Esau down, and I'm not afraid of you, I'm not a victim. And we can now read, with new insight, Yaakov's opening statement to Esau. Im lovan garti, I lived with lovan. Which Chazal find to be a provocative statement on Yaakov's part. What is he highlighting to Esau? I lived with Lavan. Well, on one level, I now suggest he's saying, I lived with Lavan. I swam with the sharks. You can't bully me anymore. And the parsha bears out Esau gets it too. He must deal with Yaakov as an equal. Yaakov has come into himself here. And his children take this to the next level, as we see in the Shimon Levy story. Don't mess. And there's a magnificent textual echo we can now hear and appreciate from this perspective in the parasha. When the Shvatim, Yaakov's children, play hardball with Shem, play hardball with Dina's abuser, and engage in the shenanigans here. Yeah, go ahead, circumcise yourself. We know, we know what we're up to here. So the Chumash says, as follows, Vayanu bnei Yaakov ashchem v'ashchamarov b'mirma. The Shvatim here responded to Shechem with mirma, with trickery. Unklus renders trickery here as chachmasa, shrewdness. Well, that is the very same expression, infrequent expression, used to describe Yaakov's original snatching of the bracha. Right? Ba'achicha he used trickery in snatching the bracha, which Unklus there translated as mirma, a chachmasa, shrewdness, the same expression. It's not a coincidence that the term and the expression Mirma, trickery, shrewdness, which began Yaakov's development 
is now reappearing in the culmination of the story in our parasha when his sons display the don't mess, I can remain one step ahead and swim with the sharks. They've got it. This becomes now part of the Masora and Claudia Yisrael, along with the Neshama and all that other stuff. The ability to pull out this tool, Mirma, shrewdness, don't mess. Becomes an integral part of the Masora. Validated here in the culmination of the story. And there is a balance here. The message that we must be Yaakov at heart, that it is not a coincidence that Yaakov began as Ishtam. Yaakov began as an innocent person, pure person, without who would find shenanigans and the playing hardball difficult. It was anathema to who he is. It's not a coincidence that that's who Yaakov, our father, is. Because really, we should fight playing hardball anathema. We don't want hardball. We want to be loving. So we have a natural reticence, resistance, to be tough cookie. Those who desire to be tough cookies, and to be tough, and to be harsh, and to be shenanigan-focused, they are really not acting Yiddish. It's not Yiddish to be naturally oriented. Though. It's, it's, it's Yiddish on the sore from Yaakov to resent that. What is Yiddish is that despite our hesitation, despite our natural resistance to be tough, we know how to do it when we have to. Because that's what allows us to accomplish our mission. To be successful in living a life of Hashem, a life of Torah in Olam Hazat. This world, which is a tough place with tough people, with two-legged beasts at times, be they Esau, be they whomever. And in a related vein, one can't suggest that these two qualities the neshama of Yaakov along with the coping mechanisms of Esav, the kol kol Yaakov with the Yadayimid Esav, can come together in the collaboration of different Jews. That you have those Jews who are more, you might say, the kol kol Yaakov Dika Jews, the base Medrash type of Jews who maintain the Nisham of the Jewish people, and those who and those who get their hands dirty, who are the more Yadayim Yadayasov, but a Yadayim Yadayasov which is directed by the Kolkol Yaakov. And one can theorize that this was, this was a, a possibility for how a Yaakov and an Asov could have come together if Esav would have been av-worthy, if, uh, if Esav would have been deserving. When Svarim suggests that the original statement that 
Avram's progeny will continue through Yitzchak, while it's ultimately interpreted to mean be Yitzchak for local Yitzchak. Only some of Yitzchak's progeny will make it. Well, various Mepharshim, such as Argedalio, suggest it did not have to be read that way. If Esav would have been worthy, be Yitzchak would have meant the entirety of Yitzchak. Well, in Esav and Ayakov, the entirety of Yitzchak's progeny as a Jewish people, the way the collaboration could have worked, I suggest, is because we need both the genteel soul of a Yaakov and the pragmatism and toughness of an Esav, well, they could have come together in this fashion. And arguably they do in the next generation amongst the Shvatim. The fact that we have both B'nai Leia and B'nai Rachel, children of Leia and children of Rachel, and Leia, of course, Chazal tell us, was originally destined for Esav, so it was believed Leia is going to marry Esav and Rachel's going to marry Yaakov. Well, that reflects that now within the Jewish people, Yaakov has taken Esav's bracha, Yaakov has assumed Esav's mission as well, the toughness along with the genteel soul, and therefore from his progeny you will have both. You have Leah and Leah's children who are in the, in the highest aspiration of what an Esav could have been, will be the practical Olam Haza tough cookies, of course, from B'nai Leia emerges Malchus Yehuda, Malchus Beistav, and the kings who deal with political affairs, where you need all the shrewdness. While from the B'nai Rachel emerge Yosef and Binyamin, where the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash are, one can certainly suggest that, and develop various statements of Chazal, including the statement of Chazal that from the B'nai Leia we have David HaMelech, who's the king, who was reddish in complexion like Esav. And the Medrash says, while initially there was a concern that he's Esav-like, well, Hashem explains to the Navi, yeah, he has Esav's mida of Ritzicha, of ability to murder. But he's not going to murder frivolously. He's going to use this inclination, this Esav inclination, to fight off the enemies of Israel. Right, so he's the rough and tumble Likidusha, you might say, what the Esav could have been, which now becomes part of Klal Yisrael in terms of the Bnei Leia, in particular Malchus Yehuda, in particular David HaMelech HaMalchus based David, which is no less integral a role than the role of the Bnei Rachel, the role of the genteel soul. Yosef, Binyam, and everything we're going to read about in next week's parasha, how Yosef is kind-hearted, Yosef is sensitive to the oppressed and the like. Yeah, that's the genteel soul along with the toughness of the Bnei Leia. It's very interesting in next week's Parsha. When we're taught in next week's Parsha, if we can digress a moment, that there was a feeling in, in Yaakov's family that the Bnei Leia, the sons of Leia, were somewhat elitist and off-putting to the children of Bil and Zilpah, the children of the maids. And, and Yaakov, Yosef didn't like that. Yosef kind of was Makarev, brought Boosted the, boosted the self-esteem of B'nai Shvachos, the children of the maids. Now, this is not a petty story of bullies. The B'nai Leir, Halila, bullies, these are Shiftei Ka. But rather, what I would suggest is, aligned with the B'nai Leia's orientation and mission, which is to be practical, pragmatic, practical, pragmatic people at times are tough and have to sometimes make decisions which the outcasts, you might say, find difficult. 
We have this in institutions, for example, and schools need to set standards and hierarchies and the like. Well, hierarchies, hierarchies of achievement, exclusive policies, who's accepted, who's not. There's no question that the struggling elements suffer. But yet there's the role of those administrators who are highly pragmatic that they have to set standards, which at times will say, those who are children of the maids, i.e. metaphorically, those who are, are, are on a lower rung at times will have, will have various hurdles. But at the same time in the school, you need the kind-hearted administrator who will say, I'm going to fight for the oppressed. I'm going to assure that as much as the other administrator, the Bnei Lea-esque types, are setting standards, I'm going to be full of lave. I'm going to be full of heart. And that's the Yosef, who's Makar of the Bnei Shvach, who's Makar of the Sons of the Maids. We see how this little sechsach, this little skirmish in the beginning of Parshas Vayeshev as developed by Rashi, in terms of how Leah's children deal with the children of the maids versus Yosef, is not a petty story of mean bullies versus a nice Yosef, but it reflects two different personas of leadership in the Jewish people, which we see till this very day. Those with standards, those with rigidity, those who are practical versus those who are all length. And you need both. This is Yaakov and Esau, what they could have been, what they should have been. Ultimately, Yaakov has to embody them both, the genteel soul along with the rough exterior. All the work we did tonight in terms of studying Yaakov's innate gentle soul, his reticence to become rough and tumble, but yet his ability to ultimately develop that rough exterior, along with the notion that this was really an ace of trait which had to be learned and an ace of trait which Yitzchak appreciated. Yitzchak with his gvura, with his midas hadin, with his appreciation, you need to be tough. Good boys and girls finish last. Makes sense, resonates. It all comes together. But what I am looking to find now is that textual pattern which will seal the deal for me. I am convinced if we dig deeper, we're going to find a pattern here. We're going to find one word which keeps recurring throughout the Yaakov story, which when we trace that recurring phrase and all of its nuance, it will become apparent the Torah is weaving a thread for us here to show everything we study tonight, the, the genteel soul who must develop the rough exterior. And I posit... The key expression here, which we will see recurring throughout the story, is the word sadeh, the word field. Because on one hand, that is the depiction of Esav, and the depiction of Esav and all of his toughness. Ish yodei side ish sadeh, the hunter, the man of the field. What is interesting to notice, that very same term we found earlier in the Chumash in the description of Yitzchak, Yitzchak would daven in the field. And Chazal tell us that this term sada regarding Yitzchak's prayer is the essence of who Yitzchak is as opposed to the way the other avos davened. Yitzchak karasada. Yitzchak called the meeting place with the divine afield. And the deeper meaning is because Yitzchak's midah is gvura, is toughness. Yitzchak finds God in the field. 
The field is the rough and tumble place where you have beasts, four-legged beasts, two-legged beasts, Sada, it's the rough place. It's not the civilized Ohalim tense of Yaakov. No. The field is a tough place. Yitzchak finds God in the field. Well, it is no coincidence that it is a Yitzchak who takes to an Esau who's a man of the field, appreciating that with all Esau's toughness, if I work with Esau, he'll be able to find God there. Because godliness requires that Ishsada mentality. Continuing the pat- to trace the pattern. While there was a certain truth in Yitzchak's perspective, that Yitzchak's own sada, Yitzchak's own ability to find God in the tough world and coping in the tough world, was an, a promising trait of Esav. Trait of Esav. Esav took it too far. Esav's toughness became cruelty. As the Mekubalim say, the abuse of gvura, the abuse of strength, is achzarius, cruelty, which is what Esav is about. Well, from this perspective, studying our sada pattern, The words in the beginning of Parshas Toldos describing when Esau sells away the birthright to Yaakov take on new meaning. What does it say? It says, Vayavo Esau min hasada came from the field tired. Why is it meaningful that he came from the field? Well, fascinatingly, the Gemara midrashically interprets coming in from the field is not simply a description of where he came from, but what he had just done. It says he had just physically exploited a Nara Hamarasa, a young enga- a girl engaged to be married who hadn't consummated her marriage yet. Because you also find the term Sadeh in the Chumash describing such sordid behavior as abusing an Ira Hamarasa, because the Puzzle and Parshas Kisait say, Ki Matzah. The abuser found the Naira Hamarasa, the engaged, engaged girls in the field. So just as you find the term Sadeh describing physical abuse, likewise, Esav coming from the Sadeh means he had just committed physical abuse. Now, this Gemara seems strange. What a strange word, random word connection, strange Gerashava. The term field used there describing abusing an engaged girl, the term sada field used here describing Esau coming in in the birthright story. What is the deeper meaning of the Gemara? I think the deeper meaning is that the term sada, which is a term describing toughness, is being applied to Esau here to display similar connotations to what the word means regarding abusing the young girl. When the Pasuk says in Parshas Kiseitzei, the man found the Nara Hamarasa in the field. He found the engaged, girl, the engaged girl in the field and was able to abuse her. He, he, does, he acts to her with jungle, with field, with wild sort of behavior. Well, all of that is symbolized in Esau's field. Esau's toughness became achzarius, became cruelty, became utter 
soullessness, no empathy, as most vividly displayed by someone who would abuse a young girl, the very vision of innocence, a young girl engaged to be married yet who hasn't consummated yet, the very image of innocence and purity. But he's heartless, Esau. That's what the Sud of Esau represents. The term now, Sadeh, is now brimming with meaning, is now an emblazing, a blazing expression in the Chumash in terms of this whole Sadeh pattern. And that is why in this very story, Esau lost the Bechorah and the Bracha. Must go to Yaakov. The man of toughness, the man of Sadeh, has abdicated his privileges, his privileges of the Bracha and the Bechorah. Because he's shown exclusive toughness doesn't work, becomes heartlessness, becomes axarius. And now it must fall upon Yaakov, Yaakov the genteel soul, to clothe himself in the cloak of Asaph, to learn to play tough. Well, from this perspective, how significant that when Yaakov receives the bracha from Yitzchak at the end of the parashas Toldos, Yitzchak is impressed and says, My son, you smell from the field. Well, why does that matter, you smell from the field? Well, the deeper meaning is, you smell from the field. Sada field representing gvura, toughness. The midah of Yitzchak. Now Yaakov has adopted it for himself, wearing the cloak of Esau, displaying shrewdness in disguising himself as Esau. You smell of the field. You smell of Sada. You smell... You have this trait. You exude this trait along with your genteel soul. And the pattern continues. Again, the power of any textual pattern is in the consistency of the pattern, that the word keeps appearing too many times to be a coincidence. Because then in next week's Parsha, when Yaakov escapes to Lavan's house, to Haran, we will see the term Sada appearing again and again to describe Yaakov's, the setting of Yaakov's experience. For example, the Navi Hoshea in the Haftorah of Parshas Vayetze describes Yaakov's sojourn as Vayivrach Yaakov Sedei Yaakov had ran to the field of Aram. It describes Haran as a field. What a strange expression. Well, now we're beginning to trace deeper. Indeed, a field. On a, a rough and tumble place where he will learn to swim with the sharks. Everything said that conveys. In fact, even the word of the Chumash describing that area, Lavan's home base, Padan Aram, is interpreted by Rashi in one of Rashi's renderings, Padan Lashen Sadeb Lashen Yishmol. The word Padan in Arabic says Rashi means a field. Padan Aram. He's running away to the field. And then throughout Yaakov's experience, he's constantly encountering fields in Parshas Vayetze. For example, Vayar Vihini Be'er Basadeh. He encounters a well in the field. And then describing Yaakov's workday as he is dealing with practicalities of business and the like and remaining one step ahead of love on Vayavu Yaakov Min Yaakov comes from the field. Yaakov's working in the field. 
And then again, the Chumash says, Vayishlach Yaakov Ayikra L'Rachel Oleya Hasadeh Eltsonu. He calls Leah and Rachel out to the field, the place of his sheep. The Chumash stresses, Yaakov is shepherding in the field. And not only Yaakov, but also his children spend time in the field. Vayelach Ruvin B'meik Tzirchitim Vayimso Dudan Basadeh. Ruvain plucks up flowers from the field. Well, more than simply a place, the geography of a place. The terminology sadeh is now taking on a presence, no coincidence. Sadeh reflects the rough and tumble setting. He's living in Lovin's house. The ish ohalim, the man of the tent, must become an ish sadeh in his school of hard knocks because he's developing the ace of persona of ish sadeh. And now, the grand finale of the pattern in our Parsha. When Yaakov now is able to face down Asaph and say, I've swam with the sharks, I could deal with you. How does the Chumash describe his face down with Asaph in the opening Pusik in the Parsha? Vayishlach Yaakov malachim lafanav al Esav achiv arza sayir sidei Edom. He is described as sending messengers to the field of Edom, the field of Esav. That's a very strange expression to describe a country or a land as a field. Arza sayir, the land of sayir, the land is then called a field. It's an interesting expression, if nothing else. But on a deeper level, I think stay Edom, the field of Edom. That means. The stage of Esau, the orientation of Esau, which is Sadeh, Ish Sadeh, feel, toughness. Yaakov is able, to, is able to step foot, send messengers there, deal with that world and that realm. And from this perspective, you will appreciate how Yaakov's children, who are continuing to display a toughness and an ability to swim with the sharks, particularly in the Dina story when Dina is abused. Well, they are described likewise. They're shepherding in the Sadeh in the field. Why is it important that they're shepherding in the field? Well, Sadeh is the magical term here, the term which keeps on appearing throughout the Yaakov story to show he is developing the Ish Sadeh, mentality and model of Esav. Indeed, no coincidence the repetition of this phrase, our entire shear, all of our conceptual development tonight, is actually embedded in the text itself, I suggest, by following this Sadeh pattern, textual pattern, linguistic pattern, beginning with Esav's ish, as an Ish Sadeh, beginning with Yitzchak the father as a Yitzhi L'Such the finding God in the field, learning how to find God in a tough world and not allowing oneself to be abused and picked on. Yaakov develops all of this in our parasha. He becomes the Ish Sadeh too. He could step onto the stay adome, the field of Esau. He is not thrown by it. And so it is that Jews for time immemorial always maintained our soul, always maintained our neshama, and yet still possess the tools still possess, have what it takes to live through the vicissitudes of life and achieve. Don't mess with me. May it be Hashem's will that all of us always maintain our Yiddish genteel soul, 
always be fundamentally loving people, Tyrodeca people, while at the same time have that cloak of Asaph, have that exterior, that cloak which we darn and then take off and hang back up in the closet. It's not who we are, but you know, it's have those skills, have those coping mechanisms to allow us to deal with life, Olam Hazar, the people in life, as Yaakov learns to do, facing down his bully, Amen Kenihi Ratzon.